Today's Matt Walsh Show, the Biden administration just put a Trump supporter in federal prison for a meme. This is perhaps the worst and most flagrant assault on free speech we've seen, and yet most Republicans are ignoring it. We'll discuss also Hamas supporters stage an insurrection at the Capitol. RFK Jr. comes out in support of reparations, and the media thinks they found their new George Floyd. We'll talk about the actual facts of the case, all of that, and more today on the Matt Walsh Show. Everyone here at the office loves the GenuCell Dark Spot Corrector. We talk about it all the time. You might be asking what this product even does. Well, if you have sunspots, dark spots, discoloration, or dry skin, GenuCell's Dark Spot Corrector will help those blemishes disappear. Kimberly from Youngstown, Ohio says, quote, my appearance has improved so much since using GenuCell. I love all my GenuCell products and my skin looks younger. Now it's your turn to feel like Kimberly, but hurry because this sale is ending very soon. A lot of young men write into my show asking what they can do to meet women who share their values and beliefs? Well, the answer is take care of your ugly, disgusting face. Take advantage of GenuCell's most popular package, which includes the beloved Dark Spot Corrector. This package also includes GenuCell's classic under-eye treatment. You'll get all the products for almost uh, 70% off. GenuCell is so confident in their products that you can try them for yourself completely risk-free. If you don't see immediate results, you get your money back. So go to GenuCell.com Walsh. Start looking years, even decades younger tomorrow. Say hello to the best skin, You've ever had a genucell.com slash Walsh. That's genucell.com slash Walsh. November 8th, 2016 was election day, uh, a day of triumph or tragedy, depending on who you ask. And as you may recall, Hillary Clinton was going up against Donald Trump. If you can think back that far, you might remember that um, back in those days before Chinese style COVID lockdowns became a pretext for transforming the entire system of elections in this country, people actually you know, went to the polls in large numbers on election day. They didn't mail in their ballots or hand them over to a political operative. They actually showed up and voted. So that morning, a left-wing activist named Christina Wong decided to play a practical joke on all of these election day voters. She went on Twitter writing, quote, hey, Trump supporters, skip poll lines at election 2016 and text in your vote. Text votes are legit or vote tomorrow on Super Wednesday. Now, Wong also uploaded a video on Twitter telling Trump supporters, once again, that election day in reality was on November 9th, which was a day later than the actual election day. Watch. Hey, everybody. This is Christina Wong. And uh, I'm coming out. I'm a Trump supporter. And I just want to remind all my fellow Chinese Americans for Trump, people of color for Trump, to vote. Vote for Trump on Wednesday, November 9th. Really important day. We're gonna show this country who's boss, and that's our man, Donald Trump. So don't forget to vote Donald Trump on November 9th. Now that video that you just saw there is still available on Christina Wong's Twitter feed. She has not taken it down. And watching that video, it's clear to any reasonable person that it's a joke. No Trump supporter is gonna get tricked by a random woman on Twitter into thinking that election day is one day later. No one's going to be fooled into thinking that they can text their vote in anonymously for any candidate at all. And in any event, if uh, somehow a voter did fall for Christina Wong's shtick, then, I mean, honestly, they're so stupid that they shouldn't be voting anyway. And that could be why the DOJ never charged Christina Wong with any crime at all. She was engaging in political satire or trolling or mockery or whatever you want to call it. And whatever you do call it, it was protected by the First Amendment, obviously. But... If that's the case, then it's very hard, in fact, impossible to justify the DOJ's approach to a different person, a man named Douglas Mackey. On social media, Mackey used the online alias of Ricky Vaughn. And exactly one week before Christina Wong posted her meme on Twitter, Douglas Mackey posted this meme. Uh, and the image reads, avoid the line, vote from home. Now, Douglas Mackey posted this image on social media a full week before Election Day. And at the time he posted this on his Twitter account, uh, Mackey's profile picture depicted a man in a MAGA hat wearing a Bane mask. So it was not exactly a credible announcement about the upcoming election, nor was it trying to be. It was obviously a joke. Exactly the same joke that Christina Wong told. And at the time, everybody recognized this. More than four years went by and no one said a word about it. No harm, no foul, no damage was done. Not an issue. 
But then in late January 2021, just a week after Joe Biden was inaugurated and his handlers took control of the federal government at DOJ, everything changed. Douglas Mackey was suddenly hit with federal charges. As the New York Times reported, Mackey was accused of, quote, spreading disinformation online that tricked Democratic voters in 2016 into trying to cast their ballots by phone instead of going to the polls. The Fed said that Mackey had, quote, coordinated with co-conspirators to spread memes on Twitter, falsely claiming that Hillary Clinton's supporters could vote by sending a text message to a specific phone number. Now, I want you to take a moment to reflect on that phrase, coordinated with co-conspirators to spread memes on Twitter. MSNBC's coverage at the time was just as breathless. Here's how they covered the crimes of this dangerous meme-spreading edgelord. Watch. A notorious Twitter troll was arrested on federal charges of election interference. Douglas Mackey, also known by his online alter ego Ricky Vaughn, is accused of a voter disinformation campaign during the 2016 election. The arrest represents what could be a big change in how the federal government fights election interference. NBC News investigative reporter Brandy Zadrozny joins us now. So, Brandy, first of all, tell us about the election disinformation campaign that Mackey is accused of orchestrating. What did he allegedly do? So, yeah, Mackey is accused of having used Twitter to um, coordinate with other trolls in these private spaces, private group chats. One was called War Room. Um, and he's accused of spreading disinformation, specifically that voters could cast their ballots via social media and text. Um, this one was specifically aimed at Black and Latino voters. You could tell because he used memes with Black people and ones written in Spanish, allegedly. Now, basically, you know, what this guy did is what we're all really familiar with from the Russian Internet Agency. They created fake posts. They said that, you know, in these posts that certain celebs were on the Trump train, for instance, right? Or they created fake advertising campaigns for Hillary Clinton where they were like, um, we're going to draft your daughters into the armed forces. Um, or, you know, like we just said, the lies about when and where people can vote. And just like the Russian campaign, we've been saying forever, there's a homegrown alt-right disinformation campaign, and it was aimed at electing Donald Trump. So uh, Douglas Mackey is using the same tactics as Vladimir Putin. This guy with 50,000 Twitter followers, along with Vladimir Putin, is the reason that Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton. That's what they're saying. They don't even realize how ridiculous any of this sounds, or they do realize and they don't care. And that's how determined they are to come up with reasons why Hillary Clinton lost the 2016 election, something that they still are grappling with. What's funny about that clip, aside from the total absurdity of the whole thing, is that this week, NBC's disinformation reporters just spent an entire day lying about a hospital bombing in Gaza. They told you Israel bombed a hospital and killed 500 people, when in reality, it looks like some terrorists in Gaza put a crater in a parking lot. The NBC disinformation experts who lied about the incident are the same people telling you they're very concerned about a meme posted on Twitter about the 2016 election. So they're complete frauds as usual. At the same time, however, they are effective. The Biden DOJ put Douglas Mackey on trial more than a half decade after his uh, conspiring to spread memes. And they did it using the same law, 18 U.S.C. Section 241, that they're accusing Donald Trump of violating. This law makes it criminal to engage in a conspiracy to deprive Americans of their right to vote. And this was a law uh, that Congress passed to prevent the KKK from intimidating blacks at the, at the polls. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, not something that you would think would apply to a meme on Twitter. And now it's being used to jail everyone from a former president to a random guy with 50,000 Twitter followers who posted a meme because they are determined to crush political dissent, whether it comes from Donald Trump or a, a Twitter troll or anybody else. So how did Mackey's trial go? As you could probably guess, it wasn't exactly a fair and impartial proceeding. For one thing, Joe Biden's prosecutors hid the identity of a key witness in the case. This witness, known as Mr. Microchip, was important because to prove that a conspiracy exists, you need at least two people, obviously. So the feds needed Mr. Microchip to testify that he had engaged in a conspiracy with Mackey. But in a remarkable, if predictable, turn of events, the DOJ convinced a judge to keep Mr. Microchip's identity under seal. And perhaps more importantly, the DOJ also convinced the judge to issue an order preventing Mackey's attorneys from cross-examining Mr. Microchip about his uh, extensive dealings with the FBI, which dated back at least to the year 2018. In his communications with the FBI, the witness reportedly acknowledged that there was no grand scheme to sway election results, 
But none of that could come into evidence. It wasn't brought up at trial. It wasn't allowed into the trial. The jury also wasn't allowed to hear that Hillary Clinton's own staff didn't think that any of Douglas Mackey's memes mattered during the 2016 election. On the other hand, prosecutors were more than welcome to question Mackey about his views on women's suffrage, uh, his opinions on whether immigrants should be allowed to vote. All of those opinions that have nothing to do with the case were allowed to come into evidence to rile up the jury in in, uh, New York. And, And here's another important point to keep in mind. This is maybe the most important point. Prosecutors never produced a single piece of evidence to prove that a single vote was actually lost due to Mackey's meme. The jury did not hear from a single witness who testified that they texted, they text their vote and then didn't vote for real because of it. There were people who texted the number because they were curious about it or they or whatever. They were playing along with the joke. But there was no evidence or any reason to believe that any actual real-world harm was caused by this meme. Not that preventing idiots from voting would actually be harmful, in my opinion. That would be a great public service, I think. But the point is that uh, there's no evidence at all that such a thing happened. If he was trying to trick people, it didn't work. Nothing happened. There was no harm done. And yet, predictably, Mackey was convicted... And the other day, he was just sentenced by this federal judge to seven months in federal prison for a meme. Seven months. That's the punishment for mocking Hillary Clinton voters with a meme, which is essentially a modern-day political cartoon. It, It is the equivalent of someone being put in prison for a political cartoon. And to put that in context, a seven months is longer a longer prison stint than a BLM rioter received in 2020 for threatening to murder a police officer with an AR-15. That officer was guarding a courthouse that the rioters were setting on fire, but this rioter named Dakota Means was sentenced to probation, meaning no time in prison whatsoever. Dakota Means, by the way, went on to murder his infant child. Now, as horrifying as that story is, there, there are many more like it. Pretty much every BLM terrorist from 2020 received a lighter sentence than Douglas Mackey did for posting a meme. And most of them received no sentence at all and were never even charged with anything. And that tells us a couple of things. First of all, it tells us that we are led by tyrants. And if there's one thing tyrants despise more than anything else, it's being mocked. You know, you could disagree with them and and most of the time they'll shrug and, and bury you with an avalanche of their own propaganda. But if you mock them, I mean, that's really how you incur their wrath. And they will go to tremendous lengths, years after the fact, to make sure you're destroyed for it. The devil cannot endure to be mocked, as Thomas More said, and neither can the current regime running our country. Which, and those two things are certainly related. The other lesson from the Douglas Mackey case is that it's a symptom of a much larger problem. Douglas Mackey um, uh, could only be convicted in a country that no longer cares about basic principles of democracy, which of course includes the freedom of speech. And indeed, it's becoming clear that our country no longer cares about any of those principles. As Yahoo just reported, quote, a large portion of Americans on both sides of the aisle favor getting rid of democracy and imposing violence on their political opponents, among other authoritarian measures, according to a new poll. 31% of Donald Trump supporters and 24% of President Joe Biden supporters said democracy is no longer viable and an alternative system should be tried, according to an October poll from the University of Virginia's Center for Politics. Now, poll results like this aren't surprising because every day we see new examples of the disparate, unequal application of the laws in this country. The other day, pro-Hamas protesters stormed a a Senate office building demanding a ceasefire in the Middle East. And they obstructed lawmakers on their way to work. They prevented media reports from taking place. It was an insurrection. Here's what it looked like. Now, what we know for sure, not that I have a crystal ball, but if, but, you know, I can still look into the future and prophesy that not a single one of those rioters will be placed in solitary confinement by Joe Biden's DOJ. They're not going to face 20-year prison sentences, just like the women who stormed Capitol buildings during the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, none of these pro-Hamas degenerates will face any consequence whatsoever. And that's because they didn't mock the people in power. They didn't put their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. They didn't smile while parading Pelosi's lectern around the Capitol building. 
So in the eyes of the Biden DOJ, they're not a threat. This ad hoc system of law enforcement has gone on for so long that a critical mass of Americans have lost faith in our system entirely. And why shouldn't they lose faith in it? What is there to have faith in? The appearance of legitimacy as well as actual legitimacy is non-existent in our judicial system. I mean, 50 years ago, jailing a political cartoonist would have been unthinkable in a supposedly free country. Yet it, it just happened in this country. And the response has been basically a collective shrug. Republicans in Congress haven't come out in defense of Douglas Mackey. In fact, I'm not aware of a single elected Republican who has said anything about this. And maybe there have been a couple. I, you know, it's, it's, I don't keep track of every single one of them. But just ask yourself that. How many elected Republicans have come out to say anything about the fact that Biden's DOJ just put someone in jail in federal prison for seven months for an anti-Hillary Clinton meme? For the most part, there has been no outrage from either party. So Douglas Mackey will serve his sentence for mocking his masters. He'll report to federal prison for his memes. And because no one stood up in his defense, the fear is that very soon he'll have a lot of company. Now let's get to our five headlines. People always say, happy dog, happy life. Well, if that's really the case, you need to be uh, giving your dog rough greens. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black, the founder of Rough Greens, is focused on improving the health of every dog in America. Before I started feeding my dog rough greens, I had no idea that dog food is dead food. It contains very little nutritional value. Think about it. Nutrition isn't brown, it's green. Well, let Rough Greens bring your dog's food back to life. Rough Greens is a supplement that contains all of the necessary vitamins, minerals, probiotics, omega oils, digestive enzymes, and antioxidants that your dog needs. You don't have to go out and buy new dog food. You just sprinkle Rough Greens on their food every day. Dog owners everywhere are raving about Rough Greens. It supports healthy joints, improves bad breath, boosts energy levels, and so much more. We are what we eat, and that goes for dogs too. Naturopathic Dr. Dennis Black is so confident that Rough Greens will improve your dog's health. He's offering my listeners a free jumpstart trial bag so your dog can try it. A free Jumpstart trial bag can be at your door in just a few business days. Go to roughgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700. It's ruffgreens.com slash Matt or call 844-ROUGH-700 today. Okay, uh, so we just, a little more on the story that I just mentioned, the insurrection of October 18th, uh, a day that will live in infamy, a day that was uh, obviously worse than 9-11 and Pearl Harbor uh, and the sinking of the Titanic combined times 10. Uh, Daily Wire reports far-left protesters with an anti-Semitic group stormed the Cannon House office building, which was located on Capitol Hill on Wednesday, to demand that Israel stop launching military strikes at the terrorists who were responsible for murdering 1,400 uh, Israeli citizens last weekend. The group that held the event, Jewish Voices for Peace, is so radical that even Democrats were condemning them, including Representative Jerry Nadler. He posted on X, quote, Many have asked me, who is Jewish Voices for Peace? Their website says that they are proud to be a part of the global Palestinian-led boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, which by its founders' uh, admissions and tenets seeks to end Israel as a Jewish democratic state. That's what Nadler said. U.S. Capitol Police began arresting protesters when they were told that they had to leave because they were not allowed to protest there and they did not comply with police orders. So they went into a building that they weren't supposed to be in. Uh, they were trespassing. They were told to leave. They refused to leave. Insurrection. So here's, here's the question. And we know this is just the latest occasion, as mentioned, when left-wing protesters have stormed a government building. Uh, we've seen it happen in D.C. We've seen it happen in Nashville with um, anti-gun protesters. We've seen trans activists doing the same thing around the country. Uh, and we've seen, we've seen much worse than this. We've seen government buildings, uh, courthouses, police stations, uh, under siege, uh, set on fire, in some cases burned to the ground, like the police station in Minneapolis was. So the question, is any Republican going to hold these people to the standard that Democrats have set? Is any Republican going to do that? I mean, so far the answer is no. Most Republicans won't even acknowledge that any of this is happening. Uh, certainly with the Douglas Mackey case, most Republicans, as we already talked about, most Republicans have said nothing about it, which, which I, I know we're used to these people being incompetent cowards, but that is, that is pretty amazing because it, it's a layup, right? I mean, it's, it's not like it requires any political courage 
on your part as an elected Republican to just say, hey, the Biden's DOJ put a guy in prison for means. This is crazy. But you don't risk anything simply by saying that, at least. They won't even say it. Now, with the um, protesters storming the Capitol and that this is an insurrection, I have seen some Republicans saying, well, isn't this an insurrection? Okay, great. You know, I've, I've seen some, some elected Republicans, rather, pointing out the hypocrisy. Look at the hypocrisy. The double standard. Well, you know who can do something about that? Yeah, there is a double standard. But you know who can do something about the double standard? It's, it's you. That's what you're supposed to do. Okay, if there's a double standard, do something about it. Make it one standard. We are being held to a standard, and so it's up to you. The Democrats aren't going to do it themselves. So you can whine about it and say, why won't you hold yourselves to the same standard? Out of the kindness of your heart and generosity of spirit and, and a sense of good sportsmanship, why won't you hold yourself to the same standard? Rather than doing that, if you're in a position of power, you could say, okay, there's a double standard. We're not going to tolerate that anymore. There's going to be one standard. And so we're going to take the standard that you hold our people to, and we're going to hold you to it. And that's the way it's going to be. Well, Republicans won't do that. They, don't, they lack the will. They lack the courage. You know, we don't see Republican appointed, uh, for the most part, we don't see very many Republican, uh, you know, uh, Republican or conservative DAs across the country doing anything like that. If we get a, if we get a uh, Republican in the White House in 2024, whoever it is, is that person going to go back and prosecute uh, Christina Wong for her tweets in 2016? The way that Biden prosecuted Douglas Mackey? Because that's what needs to happen. That's what, if there's a Republican in the, in the White House, they should go back. Uh, it doesn't matter how long ago it was. This is exactly what, Biden, what Biden's regime did. They were keeping track. They were keeping score all throughout Trump's tenure when they didn't, when they allegedly didn't control the federal government. And they were keeping track of who they were going to go back and go after and try to take down. Douglas Mackey was one of them. You know, Mark Houck, the pro-lifer in Philadelphia, is another one. Are Republicans doing the same thing? No, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's actually, it's unthinkable that a Republican would do that. But they would have the guts to do that and the wherewithal and the gumption. Are they going to go back and track down the protesters who stormed D.C. yesterday and start hunting them down and arresting them? That's what needs to happen. But it won't. Instead, we'll complain about the double standard and uh, rather than, than actually doing something about it. Because, you know, this, it exists whether we like it or not. This is the way that they're playing the game. And so our choice is we can, we can be satisfied with the status quo. And we can let them use weapons against us that we refuse to use against them while we just get slaughtered. Or we can respond in kind and we can let them experience, uh, you know, let them have the taste of their own medicine. That's the choice. All right, here's the latest from Joe Biden. We've seen him uh, bumbling and stumbling around uh, over in the Middle East. And uh, this video, though, is one of the most concerning we've seen from Biden, which is really saying something. Here he is. Um, I, I don't know what he's trying to say here, but here he is uh, talking about the situation. Let's watch. Virtually every mass shooting, every circumstance where a large number of people have been victimized and lost, I spoke to I learned a long time ago what you've all learned in your life. When someone's going through something that is beyond their comprehension that they ever thought they'd have to go through, if they see someone who they think understands or maybe been through something not the same but similar, it gives them some sense of hope. But no, no, put that picture back up on the screen. This is very important because we've we got a couple of questions. Well, lots of people on Twitter are asking what's going on with uh, Joe Biden's chin there. His chin has a certain sort of 
don't know what the word is, testicular look to it, which is interesting. I, I, like, what's happening is he's decomposing in front of our very eyes. He's physically, he is a corpse that is physically decomposing in front of us. And uh, we know that his mind is already, his mind is, is long gone. And now we're going to watch his body go with it. He's just going to, by the end of, if he gets reelected by the end of his second term, uh, he, he will, he would literally, he'll be like a, a, a zombified corpse. He'll be a, a skeleton. I mean, there's not much else to say about it. I, I guess like every time there's another video of the president of the United States demonstrating very clear symptoms of uh, Alzheimer's. You know, it's like you can, we've all seen the videos. We've said everything we can say about it. And I guess we're used to it by now, but this is not the kind of thing that we should be used to. This should, this should not be normal. And this is the consequence of uh, electing. It's just, you've all heard my, uh, heard me on the soapbox about electing people in their eighties, but uh, I'll say it again. It's just insane. It is, it's suicidal. Even putting everything else aside about about electing Joe, now granted, electing Joe Biden at any age, even if he was a, a young, chipper, sixty-five year old, still that would be suicidal too. But but um, especially electing someone, if you if you are a serious country, and you take the future of your nation seriously, you, you do not elect eighty-year-olds to run the country. There are just I don't, and the amazing thing is that even after all this, I still, every time I talk about this, I still hear from plenty of people who say, well, yeah, Joe Biden is obviously senile, but there's no reason why we shouldn't continue electing 80-year-olds. My grandmother, my 92-year-old grandmother, you know, she's a real firecracker, I tell you. She hasn't lost a step, so you, you, you know. No, your 92-year-old grandmother has lost, she's lost a lot of steps, okay? She's she's not the same person she was when she was 60 or 50 or 40. She she might be alert and energetic for a 92-year-old, but but she's still 92. Because we are mortal creatures and we are living in a in a we live temporal lives death comes for all of us and our bodies and minds start breaking down the older we get it's just the reality there's no way no one is exempt and you know the peak for everybody the the the, the mental and physical peak everybody has a slightly di- not everyone peaks in the same at the same age or at the same time but here's the thing when you get to be 75 or 80, you are past your peak. Every single person is way past their mental and physical peak by the time they hit 75 or 80. Okay? No one's hitting their peak at 85. It's not happening. So 75, 80, you are on the decline. You're on the decline physically. You're on the decline mentally. Once you get to 80, your chances of, uh, of, having, of, 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 of having dementia are, like, are high. 10, 20, 30. I mean, 30%, it's... And with each year beyond that, it becomes more and more likely. So for a serious country, we wouldn't do this. Uh, 75 should be the cutoff for, for the presidency, obviously. There, there's no argument against it. If you haven't done it by the age of 75, if you haven't managed to become president by the age of 75, then it's not for you. And it's okay. Most people don't become president. Very few people do. Just go home and be with your grandchildren. All right, let's brighten the mood here a little bit. I want to play this video for you. This is Canadian Conservative Party leader, and I know I can do this, Pierre Poilivet. I think I got it. I think that's his name. Poilivet. Anyway, he's a Canadian Conservative Party leader, and he's gone viral with um, for a positive reason. We don't see, it's, it's, it's pretty uncommon that we see a viral video out of Canada that's going viral for positive reasons, but in this case, uh, that's what happened. Here he is in an exchange with uh, some local media flack, and I think the way that he handles this is pretty brilliant. Watch this. Um, on the on the topic, I mean, in terms of your sort of strategy currently, you're obviously taking the populist uh, pathway. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ap- appealing appealing to people's uh, more emotional levels, I would guess. Um, 
I mean, what certainly, mean certainly, you, certainly, you tap, certainly you tap uh, very strong ideological language quite frequently. Like what? Uh, left wing, you know, this and that, right wing, they, you know, I mean, it's that, that type of ideological stuff. I never really talk about left but or right. Anyways, a lot I don't of really believe in that. Okay. A lot of people would, would say that you're simply taking a page out of the Donald Trump uh, well, book. Like which people would say that? Well, I'm sure a great many Canadians, but... Like who? <laughs> I don't know who, but... Well, you're um, the one who asked the question, so yeah. how, you must know somebody. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm sure there's some out there, but anyways, the, the, point of this, the point of this question is, I mean, why should, why should Canadians trust you with their vote, given, you know, not, not just the sort of ideological inclination in terms of taking the page of Donald Trump's book, but also... What are you also, talking about? What page? What page? Can you give okay. me a page? Give me the page. You keep <laughs> in, saying in terms, that. In terms of tur turning things quite dramatically in terms of, of Trudeau and, and the left wing and all of this, I mean, you, you, you make quite a, you know, it's, it's quite a play that you make on it. So I'm, I'm not just sure. I don't, under, I don't know what your question okay. is. Okay, then forget that. Why should Canadians trust you with their vote? Common sense. Okay. common sense for, for a change. We're going to make common sense common in this country. We don't have any common sense in the current government. You know, the guy prints $600 billion, grows our money supply by 32% in three years. That's growing the money eight times faster than the economy. No wonder we have the worst infl inflation in four decades. I'm going to cap spending, cut waste, so that we can balance the budget and bring down inflation and interest rates. You'll want to be able to pay your mortgage again. You want to be able to afford rent. Then you have to vote for Pierre Polyev because I'm the only one with a common sense plan that will bring back the buying power of your paycheck. Polyev, I think is how I pronounced it. I'm going to go with my pronunciation. Anyway, that was uh, that that was very well done, and uh, it's on. It's sort of a, unfortunate that we have to be so impressed with that exchange, not because it was not impressive, but because uh, this is how you know, this is how every conservative politician and every conservative in general should respond in these kinds of situations. Um, and this, this is what the media does, right? They'll, they ask you a question, uh, but it's not, it's, not, it's not a question. The question is always, it's always loaded and they always build it from a false premise. And so they do exactly what this guy did, where they say, well, this is who you are, and this is what you believe, and it's totally false. And then, and so, therefore, here's my question. Well, most conservatives, what we've seen historically, is that they'll let them get away with the false premise, and then they'll just launch off into some speech, you know, uh, answering or not answering the question. But he's not going to let them get away with it. So, it, and you don't have to do much. It's not you don't have to. It, the other thing is he's, he's not doing is he's not arguing against the false premise. He's not, because then he's on the defensive. This is what he did that was, uh, that was quite, quite skillful, is he's exposing the false premise, but he's not arguing against it. Because if you argue against it, then, then you're on the defensive. It looks like you are, like you're guilty, like you have something, a reason to defend yourself. All he's doing is just asking, well, where'd you get that from? You know, as, 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 I've, as we've talked about plenty of times, these are most, some of the most powerful questions that you can ask someone. One is, what do you mean by that? And we've seen that with a what is a woman question. Just, you say you're a woman, what do you mean by that? Simple question. It's a very fair question. It's not a gotcha question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that and where did you get that? Why are you saying that? What do you mean by that? Where did you get that from? Who told you that? Why are you saying that? These, these kinds of, the, the most basic sorts of questions you could possibly ask. And what you find is that uh, these people cannot answer them. Because this guy, he's starting from a false premise. Well, you're a fascist, you're this or that, you're a radical. Uh, he, he, he doesn't even know where he got it. This is just, a, this is a, an impression. That he's, this, this is something that he's absorbed, right? He's absorbed it from the atmosphere. He has no idea where he got it. And so if you ask these basic questions, where did you get that from? What do you mean by that? Why are you saying that? It all starts to fall apart and break down. With almost no effort on Pierre's part. 
Eating the apple is a nice touch. Usually I'm very much against people uh, eating while speaking or eating in public at all where I have to see it, eating on camera. But in this case, it was a nice touch because it, it helped, it, you know, it just it helped with this kind of casual vibe where he was totally unbothered. Uh, like politicians, Republican politicians in this country should, should take note. New York Post has this independent presidential candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., supports issuing reparations to the black community, making him the most prominent 2024 candidate to favor the controversial policy meant to atone for slavery and legal segregation. President Biden has largely been silent on the issue, leading to frustration among the far left. Kennedy, who ditched his Democratic primary challenge to Biden earlier this month, uh, has spoken out in favor of issuing federal dollars to rebuild black infrastructure like banks and businesses, and as well as uh, direct redress payments or tax credits rather than no-strings cash giveaways. He states in his campaign website, communities that were specifically targeted for de- for destruction need to be specifically targeted for repair. He continues, quote, on the campaign website, during Jim Crow, black banks, businesses, hospitals, schools, and farms were targeted for destruction. Racists knew that without these, the black community had no chance of building wealth. We must set federal dollars aside to rebuild black infrastructure. These programs complement uh, direct redress payments or tax credits to the descendants of the victims of Jim Crow and other victims of persecution. The pledge continues. RFK Jr. will find ways to offer his this redress that are legal, fair, and win the approval of Americans of all races. Well, there's no such thing as a fair version of that. You're giving people payments for... Um, for persecution that they didn't suffer. And these are payments that people who are not responsible for that persecution, people who did not inflict that persecution must pay. So that is the definition of an unfair system. There's no fair way to do it. Uh, But it's not a surprise that RFK Jr. uh, is in favor of this. Um, because as much as I've uh, talked about the fact that he's, he, he, you know, his, his entrance in the race as an independent isn't much more a problem for Trump because he's going to take more votes from Trump than he will from Biden. And that's just the reality. But that doesn't mean that RFK Jr. is a conservative, which is why if you are a conservative or if you lean right or any, if you, if you don't like Biden at all, wherever you fall and, and you vote for RFK Jr., it's, you're making a massive mistake. Um, and he's not a conservative, and, and he's still a Democrat. And one thing we know about Democrats is that ultimately, look, there will be Democrats on rare occasion who um, say heterodox things on some subjects. You know, it might be the vaccine, it might be big pharma, that sort of thing. But they will ultimately toe the line on things like race, LGBT. They will ultimately toe the line on that. Now, RFK Jr., when it comes to LGBT, he has, I believe, said that he doesn't think uh, males should compete against women in sports. So he's not towing the line on that. But but when push comes to shove, like if he was actually elected president, which isn't going to happen, uh, you can guarantee he'd toe, toe the line on that too. Because there are just lines that you don't cross as a Democrat. And even if he files independent, he's still a Democrat. By the way, on, on reparations... You know, we've already talked about why this is an inherently unfair, ridiculous uh, system. Um, but the other thing that's, that rarely comes up in the reparations discussion is that it, even if you are convinced that there, should, that there need to be reparations, which you shouldn't be, well, good news for you, we've already had reparations. We've already done this. Okay, affirmative action is a form of reparations. There are many special programs and set-asides and privileges that have been uh, systemically put in place to help the allegedly marginalized people in our society. All of that has already been done. It already exists to redress these historical wrongs. And so if you're a member of one of these allegedly marginalized communities, and uh, you still don't like how your life is turning out, um, maybe stop looking at the system and start looking at your own life and the choices that you make. Let's get to Was Walsh Wrong. 
Don says, in response to your cancellation, there was a time in American history that not that long ago that a man could graduate from high school and near enough fall into a uh, lifelong career that paid enough to feed his wife and three kids, own a nice house and two cars, and have a pension. That used to be the case. Uh, it's often not the case anymore. Uh, and that should change. But it, I don't know if you're actually even disagreeing with anything that I said at all. But um, it's fine to acknowledge all of this. And that in, this is, you know, in many ways, the baby boomer generation, especially when they were in their 20s and 30s, they had it a lot easier. They really did, uh, as, as is often pointed out. And that's not the case now. It's okay to acknowledge that, but if you are in your early 20s and you're just starting out in life, uh, you, you can acknowledge the fact that it used to be easier and that it was easier for your parents' generation, okay, but that's not your situation, and so you can sit around complaining about it, waiting for things to get better, or you can operate within the reality that exists for you and try to succeed in spite of it. Those are the only two options. Uh, Trucker Pat says, your claim that Kennedy hurts Trump more than Biden is false, but I get why you're spreading the falsehood. Not necessary. More boomer Dems will be voting for Kennedy just for nostalgic reasons and will easily outnumber the dissenting Republicans. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure what you're basing. I, 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 what are you basing that on? I know that this is what you hope is the case. It's what I hope is the case, too. I certainly hope that RFK Jr. takes more from Biden than he does from whatever Republican is nominated. But your hopes and dreams are separate from what will actually happen. So what are you basing that on? You're not basing it on any polls. You know, the, the poll that we just talked about yesterday shows pretty clearly that RFK Jr. takes much more from Trump than he does from Biden. Nerd Society says, I won't pretend to feel a certain way for anyone's benefit. F off. You want me to work? To do work, I'll do it happily, but I'm not putting on some stupid grin for anyone's benefit. Okay, that's fine. And then and you'll just never be successful. Um, look, far be it from me to, to judge anyone else for not smiling. I'm not exactly um, uh, an expert in that regard. It's not just about smiling. It's about, it's about having the right attitude. It's about realizing that you can't be governed by your emotions if you want to succeed. If you're unable to or unwilling to pretend that you feel a way you don't really feel, uh, then you will just be a failure forever. Successful people are able to suck it up and, and do things they don't feel like doing and present themselves in a way that doesn't always reflect how they feel because they're not governed by their emotions. If you're governed by your emotions, then you'll just never be successful. You'll be a, fa- a failure. This is, this is one of the common threads that connects almost every failure in the world. Anyone you could look at and say, this person is a failure. They don't just mean because they didn't become rich. That's not what I mean by failure. They just didn't succeed in anything they tried to do in life, or they never tried to do anything. And one of the, one of the common threads connecting all of them is that these are people that are governed by their emotions. If you want to be successful, especially in a career setting, you, you need to be able to present yourself, present a positive attitude, uh, whether you feel that way or not. For example, so several months ago, I went and uh, I bought a new car, and the guy at the dealership who sold it he was great. He was energetic. He was informative. He was friendly, great salesman. How was he actually feeling in, in the moment when I was interacting with him? I have no idea. It was the end of the day. It was like 30 minutes from closing when I walked in. And um, usually I don't like to do that, but this is the only time I had available. And so uh, I'm sure he wanted to go home. He could have been having a bad day. He could have been tired. He could have been hungry, whatever. He didn't exhibit any of that. He didn't make me feel bad for being there. He did his job. He had the right attitude. And uh, he sold a car that was, well, not exactly cheap. Now, compare that to the typical like fast food experience these days, right? I just had this the other day. It's like we've all been th- through this many times. Go to McDonald's because it was late and there was nowhere else to go. And uh, pull in and the girl comes on the drive through intercom and she's like, can I help you? Yeah, can I get a number one, uh, please? that it? Yeah, thank you. Pull around. Now, clearly doesn't want to be there. Clearly disgruntled, clearly tired and annoyed, uh, upset that I'm even there. Like she doesn't want to deal with it. She's mad that I'm even bothering her, making no effort to hide it whatsoever. And she has your attitude, right? 
she's not going to pretend to be happy for my sake. That's her attitude. Hey, I'm not going to, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to pretend for you. Who are you? And that's fine. If she wants to be that way, she'll either learn to change her approach or the McDonald's drive through is the farthest she's ever going to make it in life. It will be the peak of her career. This thing that she hates doing is all she will ever be able to do unless she learns how to pretend that she likes doing it. There's the paradox. The car salesman, very successful at what he does, making nice commissions, making exponentially more than the McDonald's worker is, I can tell you that. But it's really your choice. You know, it doesn't, somebody else wants, if you, if you want to have a, the attitude of a failure and be a failure, that's your decision. It doesn't really, uh, doesn't really harm me or affect me either way. I'm just telling you what it takes to be successful. Take it or leave it. Well, it's Thursday, which means it's time for a new episode of Convicting a Murderer. We've gone over mountains of evidence in this series, and now we're going to talk about the most controversial point that was covered in, uh, in Making a Murderer, Brendan Dassey. For some reason, people uh, bought into the idea that police manipulated Brendan into giving a false confession, despite the fact that he provided gruesome details about the, the crime. Uh, well, Brendan was manipulated, but it wasn't by the police. Take a look. Coming up on Convicting a Murderer. Everybody knew they were not journalists. They were making a documentary. They had their angle. Once you start to examine the facts of the case and not just the docu-series interpretation of the facts, you realize that, yeah, he was manipulated, but it certainly wasn't by the cops. Don't go for a free bargain or this and that. Yeah. Because you do that, then you're hurting both of you guys. He chose to listen to that and not accept the pleas. One of Stephen's more surprising allegations came in the form of a letter that Stephen wrote nearly six years after his trial. To put the case against me that I murdered Teresa Holbaugh. How does that make you feel? Makes me pretty mad. Why would he want to blame it on me? He knew the right decisions to make. He could have saved her and didn't. Chose not to. He was the one person that could have saved her. New episodes of Convicted Murderer will be released every Thursday evening exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. So if you're not a member, head over to dailywireplus.com slash subscribe to sign up and get exclusive access to this groundbreaking series and the rest of Daily Wire's content. Don't wait. Subscribe today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. As you, of course, remember, the supposed murder of George Floyd was a wonderful occasion for the media. Rarely have they been able to manufacture a story so potent and so useful. It was great for ratings. It was even better for the narrative. They could push left-wing talking points while also raking in the advertising dollars. It was the best of both worlds. They loved it. So it's understandable in a certain way that the media has been trying desperately ever since then to recapture that same magic, to ignite the spark, the spark that ultimately burned down entire city blocks all around the country. And they've been looking for their new George Floyd. All they've been able to find, at best, though, are, you know, little uh, George Floyd Juniors. But they keep searching. They keep trying their best to fabricate stories that might be as ideologically and monetarily profitable as the one they told about blessed saint George Floyd. And they have tried again with the latest BLM martyr, a man named Leonard Cure. Uh, This past Monday, Cure was shot and killed by a deputy in Camden County, Georgia, after he was pulled over for a traffic stop. Uh, there are only three pieces of information about this incident that the, that the media wants you to focus on or wants you to know at all. And uh, this is the first piece, that Cure was shot during a traffic stop. The second is that Cure was black. And the third is that he was recently exonerated and released from prison after serving 16 years on an armed robbery charge. Here's the New York Times with those details. Quote, Mr. Cure was convicted of the armed robbery of a Wal- of a Walgreens in Broward County in 2003 and was sentenced to life in prison because of prior convictions. In 2020, the Broward State Attorney's Office Conviction Review Unit asked a judge to release Mr. Cure after the unit found problems with the case, according to the South Florida Sun Sentinel. These uh, concerns included how a suspect was identified and the fact that an alibi for Mr. Cure was never presented in court. Mr. Cure was released, and in December 2020, he was exonerated based on findings of actual innocence, the Innocence Project of Florida said. Officials had determined that evidence in the form of an ATM receipt had proven that Mr. Cure was miles from the crime scene at the time of the robbery. Now, um, if Mr. Cure was falsely convicted, that's very unfortunate. It's also not relevant at all to what happened during the traffic stop on Monday. The officer didn't know about that history, and even if he had, it wouldn't have changed anything in the moment. And yet nearly every media headline on this shooting is framed like this. 
This is from the same New York Times article. This is the headline. Man wrongfully imprisoned for 16 years is fatally shot during traffic stop. Here's NPR. Leonard Allen Cure, freed after a wrongful conviction, is shot dead in a traffic stop. CNN says, a wrongfully convicted man who was exonerated after 16 years is shot and killed during traffic stop. You get the idea. Let's take the least relevant facts and put it in the headline. That's the strategy. This is how the narrative is cemented before anyone even knows exactly what happened or why. And local media, of course, is on the same page. Here's how they're covering the story. Watch. Tonight, those who knew Leonard Cure tell 11 Alive that they're still in disbelief tonight. 11 Alive's Cody Alcorn picks up our team coverage tonight from downtown Atlanta. He's live outside of the Georgia Innocence Project. And Cody, how did that nonprofit and Leonard Cure cross paths? Jennifer and Ron, shortly after being released in April 2020, Leonard moved to Georgia, where he became part of Georgia Innocent Project's free and exonerated community. Turn around. 17 days before Leonard Cure was shot during a traffic stop in Camden County, the 53-year-old... Who trusted in a wrongful arrest before and wasn't released for 16 years. Spoke to a group of students at Jonesboro High School. One of the things that uh, he really harped on when he spoke to the students. During his original arrest in 2003. He was very compliant with the, the police. Christian Stegall helped prep Leonard for his speech, really getting to know him. I can only imagine what was going through his mind when um, he was pulled over again. So that's all we need to know, right? He was a black man wrongfully convicted. He was going around and giving talks to high school students. Clearly, his death is a great injustice and outrage. Who cares about the actual details? Well, the ACLU of Florida certainly doesn't. They tweeted yesterday, Leonard Cure was incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit for 16 years before getting his life snatched from him by a cop. Modern policing is rooted in slavery and rotten to the core. The Southern Poverty Law Center agrees, posting, SPLC is deeply saddened by the tragic loss of Leonard Cure in Camden County, Georgia. We urgently call for a transformation in policing that honors every individual's rights. The ongoing anti-blackness in policing must end. Every leader must act for justice and accountability. So anti-blackness in policing, modern policing is rooted in slavery. Leonard Cure was just released from prison. He was a nice man. His friends and family loved him. We've heard a lot of things, but we haven't heard what actually happened. And if you're a credulous moron, a member of the brainless mob, then you have enough information to have already formed an opinion because it's the opinion the media has formed for you. But if you have a working brain that functions independently from the hive mind, then you may be interested to see the footage of the altercation which the Camden County Sheriff's Office has released. Here it is. Get out! Get out! Get out! Put your hands back here. I ain't doing Put your damn hands back here. Dude. Who are you? Staff Sergeant Officer Sheriff's Office. My name is Halloween. I don't care. Step to the rear of this vehicle. In the name of who? In the name of the In law of the state of Georgia. Step back here. Now you're getting tased. I'm going. Watch me now. Put your hands on the back of that truck. Do you see that? Put your hands on the back of that truck. The back of the truck. Both hands. Turn around. 34 can send me another unit, one non-compliant. Your name is Officer who? Staff Sergeant Aldridge with the Camden County Sheriff's Office. Who County? Camden County. Put your hand behind your back. Do I have a do I have a warrant? Wait, wait. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Excuse me. Either put your hands behind your back or you're getting tased. I'm telling you that right now. Why am I getting taken? Because you are under arrest for speeding and reckless driving. I'm not driving. Nobody was hurt. How was I speeding? You passed me doing 100 miles an hour. Okay, so that's a speeding ticket, right? Okay, let's pause it there for a moment. Um, how was I speeding, he asks, after going 100 miles an hour? Uh, and I know it's not really funny, but there is... It's a little funny, that part of the exchange. How was I speeding? You're going 100 miles an hour. Oh. Well, yeah, except for going 100 miles an hour, how was I speeding? In the state of Georgia and in pretty much every other state, going 100 miles an hour is a crime. It's reckless driving. And there's good reason to prosecute it as a crime because at that speed, the likelihood of getting into an accident is very high and the likelihood that everyone involved will die is nearly 100%. Okay, Going 100 miles an hour down the road and you come up against traffic that has slowed down, someone you know cuts in front of you, anything like that, 
You're not going to have the, the time to react, and you're going to kill everybody involved in the accident. That's why it's a crime. The point here is that Cure is being pulled over and arrested for committing a crime, and a dangerous crime at that. All he has to do now, all he should do, all that any rational and halfway decent person would do, is cooperate and accept the consequences of your actions. That's it. You broke the law, you got caught, game over. That's really your only viable choice. It's also the right choice. But it wasn't Leonard Cure's choice. Uh, let's keep watching. Sir, tickets in the state of Georgia are criminal offenses. I don't have a ticket in Georgia. You do now? Why? You passed me doing 100 miles an hour. And what? Am I going Hands to behind your back. Yes, you are going no. to jail. Hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. So uh, let's review. Uh, Leonard Cure decided to go 100 miles an hour. He got pulled over. The officer tried to arrest him for the crime he just committed. Cure was uncooperative from the very start. Cure refused to do as he was told. The officer tried to use a taser, but then Cure assaulted him. The officer tried wrestling Cure to the ground. Then he tried using a baton. Cure kept assaulting him. Finally, the officer used his gun, and Cure stopped assaulting him. If you're keeping track, if you're keeping track at home, the officer used literally every non-lethal means at his disposal before finally resorting to lethal means. He even continued using non-lethal means while he was being physically attacked. Personally, if I have any objection to the way the officer conducted himself, is that he was, he was far too nice. He should have shot him sooner. If I was in that position, I would have shot him, I would have shot him dead the second he put his hands on me. But then again, the officer knows from the moment a black suspect starts being non-compliant that he's in a lose-lose situation. He's fully aware that if he has to defend himself, his life will be destroyed and he might go to prison. And if he doesn't defend himself, he might be killed on the spot. Which means that even while a cop is literally fighting for his life, he has to be thinking about how this will look on camera after the fact. I mean, it's insane that police have been put in that position, but that's the position they're in. And uh, with all that in mind, I think this officer threaded the impossible needle in a rather admirable way. But none of that matters to the mob or the media, or for that matter, the family members who have this to say. Watch. Cure's family believes there was no de-escalation on either side. It was um, excitement met with excitement. And result, I still believe in my heart, and I know in my heart my brother should be alive. Cure's family and his family attorney, Ben Krupp, held a press conference Wednesday, which is when they saw the video. Cure's mother says she feels her son was paranoid from already being wrongfully incarcerated, spending more than 16 years in prison. I can tell you this. There was nothing so bad that he deserved to die. Uh, yes, there was, ma'am. He physically assaulted a police officer who was simply trying to do his job and enforce the law. In fact, he continued assaulting a police officer while three different types of non-lethal measures were used. He did everything in his power to get shot by a cop, and he was. So did he deserve it? Yes. Okay, he didn't deserve to die. Yes, he did. The same way you deserve to get shocked if you stick a fork in an electrical outlet. You deserve the logical and inevitable consequences of your actions. If you don't deserve that, then what does the, the word deserve mean? You know, maybe rather than doing a press conference with that ambulance-chasing parasite Ben Crump and throwing a police officer under the bus for simply doing his job, maybe you should be reflecting on how your son turned out this way. Keep in mind that he was a habitual criminal convicted of multiple crimes before his arrest in 2003. So some introspection from the family is in order, but instead, as usual, they cast blame everywhere else. Now, that said, I agree with Cure's brother. He says that uh, he knows in his heart that Leonard should still be alive, and he's absolutely right. He should still be alive. He threw his own life away for nothing. First going 100 miles an hour, then viciously assaulting a police officer. This man had a death wish. At the very least, he was ambivalent about his own existence. He didn't value his life or his freedom. You know, we keep hearing about, well, he, did, he didn't want to go back to prison. 
So why are you doing something that assures you will go back to prison? The minute you start assaulting the cop, best case scenario is you go to prison. That's the best case. Worst case is you die. There is no other potential outcome. So if he didn't want to go back to prison, why was he doing a thing that would ensure with with absolute certainty that at best he goes back to prison? In fact, the officer he attacked valued Cure's life more than Cure did. He was clearly more committed to keeping the man alive than the man himself was. Why didn't Cure believe that his own life mattered? Why was he willing to throw it all away for nothing? By making a series of choices that could have nothing but negative outcomes for him. Well, that would be a worthwhile conversation. One that we should eventually get around to having. But instead, we're stuck in fantasy land, pretending that a bunch of violent, suicidal criminals are somehow victims of a racist conspiracy. And this, of course, is the fantasy land that the media has constructed. And it's why they are today finally canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Godspeed.